Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you, team, uh, for leading us. What a, what a remarkable honor and privilege it is uh, to gather together as a spiritual family and to be able to pray with and for each other. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Cast all of your anxieties or your burdens or cares on God because he cares for you. And then Galatians 5, what Socrates mentioned a moment ago is that it says carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And one of the greatest ways we can do that for each other is when we gather together and we make space and time to pray for the very real needs that we have in our lives. And so thank you for the honor of being able to do that with you. Uh, Some of you have been paying attention as I have to what God seems to be doing in a place called Asbury up in Kentucky. Um, and what appears to be happening, if you haven't been following it, is a spiritual uh, awakening, or might, some might even call it a revival, uh, that has broken out at that campus among uh, what they're calling Gen Z uh, students, and is now appearing to kind of spread to some other places and other campuses. And uh, as a church, I mean, we just want to celebrate any evidence that people are hungering for a move of God in greater ways. Uh, in, in looking a little deeper into it this past week, I watched some videos, I did some research, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you this, I mean, I watched the chapel service where a guy stood up and gave about a 25-minute talk and ended, and I went, that, that was it? <laughs> like, that, that was the thing that kind of started this revival, and what happened after that chapel service is apparently a student came forward and just began to confess sin, and other students came around that student and prayed, and then more came, and they just didn't stop praying and seeking the heart of God together literally all through the night and into the following day. And this has been going on around the clock for almost a week and a half now. And so we're, we're excited to see the move of God. It's why we want to res, res, uh, respond and remain with a flexibility, kind of a nimbleness to say, God, do you want to interrupt our service? Do you want us to make room for you to do some things that maybe we didn't put on the calendar a month ago, but it's where you're moving. And it's an honor to be able to do that with and for you along the way. Before I get into uh, the the topic today or the passage that we're going to look at, I'm going to ask that you would just go with me in prayer before the Lord. Would you do that? God, we do want to make room not only for uh, your spirit, first and foremost, God, but also for your word to take root in our hearts. Um, God, your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing our soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God, do your work Uh, through the scripture that is read and preached and proclaimed this morning. God, would you break hard hearts? Would you make room for yourself? And would you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you, when you were younger, had a spot in your house, a wall perhaps, where your height was measured year over year? How many of you? Okay. Now, keep your hands up for a second. How many of you are doing that for your own children somewhere in your house? See, that's what I thought. I think Pinterest convinced us that if it doesn't look pretty, we don't do it. Man, I had an entire wall in my house. I had six siblings. And so there was like multiplied by 18 years each. I mean, we, it was just an entire wall covered with pencil markings. 
where we could see this year I was this tall, but the next year I grew this tall, and I was a bit of a late bloomer. So in the seventh grade, I was about 4'11". By the eighth grade, I was like 5'10". And it was awesome seeing me close the gap on my older brothers. In fact, my junior year of high school, I dunked on them, and it's a day that will live in infamy. The hoop was set at nine feet, but nonetheless, it was an awesome, awesome moment. Um, and it was exciting to watch every year to see I'm a little taller. I'm, oh, I'm a lot taller because measuring growth is one of the signs that a person is growing up. And today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at Paul t- telling a church in Corinth, friends, I'm watching your height growth. I'm, I'm marking the, the spot on the wall and it appears, unfortunately, that there is no growth happening. You seem to be at the same place that I left you the last time I was there. And it's concerning. And, and, and the big idea that Paul is going to address in this passage is, friends, you need to grow up. That There should be tangible signs that your faith is growing, that you are becoming more than you were. Let me ask you to do this and to reflect in your own place and in your own heart. Are you closer to Jesus today than you were a year ago? It, you know, metaphorically speaking, if you were to make the pencil markings on the wall, has there been progression? Has there been growth? Do you hunger for God's word more today than you did a year ago? Are you, are you learning to come into the presence of God in prayer in richer and more full ways than you were a year ago? Are you overcoming sin with greater power now than you were a year ago? Are you growing up? Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start with these first four verses. Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but only as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Now there's an idea that recurs in these first four verses and it sounds like alternately people of the flesh or just of the flesh and again behaving only in a human way and being merely human. Now it is important that we understand that what Paul is rebuking the Corinthian believers for is not the fact that they are human. Humanity is good. The body is good. In fact, it was the Gnostics, the kind of the first prominent heresy in the first century that that threatened the church. And it was the idea that the human body is evil, that material things are, are inherently bad. And basically we're entrapped inside a physical body. Our spirits are entrapped. And, and somehow we've got to break free of the physical And it's simply not a biblical truth. It's not theologically accurate. Genesis chapter 1 shows us God creating human beings. And it says this in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He's talking the physical components. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was what? Say it again. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
What then is Paul chastising the Corinthian believers for? You need to know that in the Greek language, which Paul is employing in his letter to the Corinthians, and actually most of the New Testament is written in Greek, the Greek language has two words that can both be translated flesh or body or human. The first is the word soma. And soma is simply the physical body. It has no moral bearing. It is not a judgment call on what that is. It's just literally your physical body. God has created us with a soma. We all have it. But there is another word that gets translated body or flesh, and it's the Greek word sarke. And when sarke shows up, it's not merely talking about the physical material body, but rather the impulses of our natural bodies that threaten to overwhelm our spiritual senses and destroy us. Things like lust, things like greed, impulses that come, yes, from the body that we're called to take control of and take prisoner. All of the words in this passage that are translated flesh or human are this second Greek word, sarke. And Paul's evidence that they are acting as people of the flesh, in other words, that they are allowing their fleshly desires to overwhelm their spiritual sense, is what he originally writes in his first part of the letter. He says, the evidence that this is so is the way that you're elevating and exalting mere people. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. He says, are you not being merely human? What Paul is going to do in these verses and the five that follow is he's going to lay down three metaphors for the Corinthian believers to further understand what it means to be a grown-up spiritual person. And so we're going to look at those together. The first metaphor that Paul lays down is this, the metaphor of adults and children. This I'm calling the principle of spiritual maturity. It's important that I again say, Paul is not calling the Corinthians to transcend their humanity. I remember years ago when my mom passed away and I was in high school, somebody came up to me at her memorial service and they said, God just needed another angel. Well, some of us were raised on bad theology. The reality is, for all of eternity, you will be human because God made you human. And being human is good. What we get the opportunity to shed in the next life, what we get the opportunity to put behind us in heaven is the sarke desires, the fleshly desires that war against our spirit. But the best you can ever be is a human made in the image of God. It is a good thing. What is not good is when a human fails to grow up. I found this picture this week. This is what appears to be about a 40-year-old man in a giant baby stroller. And yes, this is a real thing. This concept came from a company that was doing a PR stunt, but it actually gained some ground because they found that there were people, particularly middle-aged men, who missed the feeling of being held by their mothers and found great comfort in sitting in a stroller and being pushed by their wives. I'm really glad you have that response. Like, that's alarming, right? Well, we understand in the physical realm that certain actions and certain apparatus are appropriate for children, yet inappropriate for adults. When we see a child throwing a temper tantrum in the grocery store, we might quietly judge the parent, not saying that I do, but let that child be not a four or five-year-old, but a nine or 10-year-old. It's a little different, right? 
Let that child be a 15 or 16 year old. Let that child be a grown adult. And we go, this is wildly inappropriate. And Paul is looking at the Corinthian church and going, guys, I'm seeing things that are wildly inappropriate for people who should be spiritually adults. In fact, Paul stings them in verse two with this rebuke. He says, you are infants in Christ. He's like, I'm not even gonna put you as toddlers. Like you are infants. The, the life of Christ is barely formed in you. The, the way that an infant responds merely to its own impulses for food or for affection or for sleep, he says, you're doing the same thing. You're being governed by your sarke, your, your fleshly desires. Now, Paul, later in the letter to the Corinthians, is going to give them a picture of what spiritual maturity should look like. And he's going to draw from his own experience. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And some of us in the room need to look ourselves in the mirror and go, there's still some childish ways present. There's still some things going on in my heart, in my attitude, in my behavior, in my relationships that were maybe not terribly inappropriate 10 or 20 years ago. But as an adult and more than that, as a spiritually growing Christian, it's time to go, no more. That the childish ways have to be put behind me. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, there came a point when I grew up. It's the natural process and it should also be happening in the spiritual. Let me apply this to us. And by us, I mean first and foremost, me. <laughs> and if this suit wears, uh, fits, you can wear it as well. But when we engage in petty arguments with our spouse because we have to win, it's evidence that we are not yet grown up. When we still operate in a sin cycle, rather than pursuing lasting victory through recovery. Listen, I, I will be the last person to throw a stone because I've been fighting sin in my life for 41 years, one month, and 11 days. I get it. It's real. But for most of my life, it would go like this. I would sin, and I would go, God, I'm really, truly sorry. I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. And then I would do really well for a little while. And then I would sin. I go, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to do that. I promise I'll never do it again. I'll try harder. I'll do better. And what was happening was this cycle of sin that I was entrapped to. And there came a point where I said, this isn't something I can get out of myself. And I stepped into the light of confession, of accountability, of spiritual protection, of submission to spiritual authority. And the sin cycle began to break as recovery through the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ was released into my life. I'm not asking you to do better and try harder. I'm saying if you have stubborn, persistent sin in your life, man up or woman up and find help. We have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that every Monday night at our Oasis campus meets together to help people grow up in their faith by identifying the things that are tripping them up in their relationships, their thought patterns, their, their attitudes and behaviors. And recovery is possible in the spirit of God and with the body of Christ. But you have to stop acting in ways that are immature and childish and you have to grow up to be there. Or at least once you get there, you have to be ready to grow up. 
And finally, some of you, and I want to say this somewhat gently, but some of you are still deciding every Sunday, hey, are we going to go to church today? Now, I'm not saying you can never take a Sunday off. I take Sundays off. It's appropriate sometimes to rest. It's appropriate sometimes, even on a Sunday, to go to the beach with your family. It's appropriate to take a vacation. But what I'm saying is, is when every other Sunday or two out of three, you're going, hey, do we feel like going to church today or not? This is evidence, friends, that you've not yet begun to grow up in your spiritual faith. Because what grown-ups do is they make commitments and they follow through. They say, this is what we do. This is who we are. We attend church. We give to the church. We serve as opportunities become available. Paul is looking at the pencil marks on the wall and the spiritual maturity of the church and saying, something's wrong. We need to grow up. Second metaphor he moves to is meat and milk. I'm calling this the principle of spiritual digestion. Now, this is going to flow naturally from the first metaphor because the metaphor of adults' children leads to the metaphor that comes next, which is meat and milk. Our physical diet always reflects the maturity stage at which we are. This past Friday night, Nikki and I had a chance to have our Valentine's Day date. I know it wasn't the day, but when you've been married almost 13 years, you just fit it into the week and it worked. Got a babysitter, and we went to Charlie's Steakhouse because we had a gift card, and we love Charlie's Steakhouse. And what we do when we go to Charlie's Steakhouse, we've been twice now, is we look at the menu for about five or ten minutes, and then we order the same thing every time, right? It's the eight-ounce filet mignon with truffle, butter, fried calamari, and lobster mac and cheese. Every time. In fact, we were so excited to eat this meal that we ordered way too much food and the lobster mac and cheese is still sitting in our fridge. We didn't even have one bite because we were so stuffed, right? I get my uh, filet mignon medium rare. Uh, she gets it well done. It's odd. You can pray for her, but that's what that, that looks like. And man, we just sink our teeth and there is nothing better than an eight ounce steak. In fact, I might say the only thing better is a 10 ounce steak, okay? If you're an adult. But if you're a child... That same food can destroy you, right? Because children don't have the ability to chew and swallow things like steak if they're too young. Ch children, even if they can swallow something like that, if they are six months old or, or two years old, if their digestive system is not developed enough yet, what is so good for an adult can be deadly to a child. And Paul says to them, my desire, Corinthians, was to serve you a wonderful steak, but the problem is, you're still infants. And so instead, I had to go grab the bottle and just give you milk. This is what it says in verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't yet ready for it. Now, I love that Paul doesn't withhold nourishment. He doesn't go, well, if you guys can't eat then you, steak, then you're, just, you're on your own. He goes, no, no, no. I'm recognizing that you're not where I thought you were, and I'm, I'm adjusting the plan. I had the steak ready, but you're not ready for steak. In fact, it would be bad for you to process steak, so I'm going to get the milk. That's what you can process right now. And I think the principle undergirding this concept is that we are to serve people where they are, not where we'd like them to be. That's why any new members classes or, or new groups we form, we don't jump right into the end times, right? Like typically that's not where we start. 
Or I talked about it a moment ago, a moment ago, when there are stubborn spiritual strongholds in our life, a young believer does not yet know how to, nor are they equipped to, root those things out of their life. That takes spiritual maturity and a lot of prayer and time. This, I believe, is what was happening in Mark chapter 9. Jesus sends the disciples out to perform miracles and cast out demons, and they come back, and mostly it's been really great, but they're like, Jesus, there was this one situation. We called for the demon to come out, and the demon wouldn't come. And Jesus goes, okay, well, you're ready for now lesson two, because lesson two is there are some that only come out through prayer and fasting. So in other words, he gave them what they were ready for, and when they came back, he gave them a little more. So meat, I understand to be substantive teaching and power through the word of God. Some are ready for it. Some are not yet ready. But some are ready for milk. And milk in the context of scripture is, I believe, the basics of the gospel. Now, it isn't the easiest thing in the world to always have confident faith in the gospel, if we can be really honest, right? That there are concepts that we go, man, do I actually believe that? That's pretty wild. I believe that a man rose from the dead. Yes, but it is pretty easy to understand. You can talk to a child, say, hey, have you ever done anything that was wrong? Have you ever done anything that was not the right decision to make, like lie or steal? Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Well, the Bible calls that sin. And that sin creates a separation in your relationship with God. Did you know that Jesus came and died on a cross and took the punishment for your sins so that you don't have to have anything between you and God? You can have a relationship with him. And when you die, you can live in heaven forever. And time and time again, we've seen children respond to the simple essence of the gospel. We've got children who at this very moment are in a classroom with some adult leaders, some volunteers, doing a dive class, which is teaching them the fundamental principles of the gospel. It's the milk. And Paul's going to say, the milk is where we start, but by this time we should be able to, to better understand the gospel, to talk about elements of the gospel that you couldn't handle before. And what I find is I'm coming right back to the basics again. And the evidence is that you're still elevating people. If the gospel teaches us nothing else, it should teach us that there are two categories. Jesus and the rest of us. <laughs> like, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus, the rest of us. Jesus gets worshipped, we don't. Jesus gets exalted, we don't. Jesus saved us, we didn't save ourselves. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not in the name of the pastor, the deacon, and the worship leader. And Paul's going, this is basic and fundamental. And unfortunately, you're still demonstrating that you don't understand the basics of the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 5, Paul will shed some additional light on this very concept. You'll notice the words are very similar. Look at Hebrews 5 verse 12 with me. To another group of believers, he writes, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles or teachings of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Paul's saying to the Hebrews, he says, you at this point should be grown-ups, and for some reason, you're just not. And just like he did with the Corinthians, he's saying, so that, that meal that I made for you, that steak I was going to give you, you're not yet ready. We're going back to the bottle. We're going back to the milk of the basics of the gospel. 
Now, one of the challenges that I have every Sunday, that we have as a team every Sunday, is that in this room and watching online, we have spiritual infants and we have spiritual adults. And I know of people who have left churches going, man, they, they just, you know, they, they don't preach just the hard-hitting truth Sunday after Sunday. Like, they don't just, for 30 minutes, just preach. I need somebody who, and I go, well, maybe because they recognize there are spiritual infants in the room. Maybe they understand that that would be uh, uh, toxic to some because they're not yet ready for it. Maybe that's happening in their discipleship classes, their small groups, wherever it may be. The challenge that we have is every Sunday, we need to have both meat and milk on the menu because it honors the spiritual journey that we are all on. Let me add this personal challenge. Your maturity and spiritual digestion are your responsibility. When my three children were little and they were first moving off of the bottle, we would put some food on a spoon and what would we do? Here comes the bee from out of the barn, right? Like we do all these, get, get the food in them, right? We spoon feed them. My children are now 10, 9, and 6 and I don't spoon feed them anymore. They know how to make some toast for themselves. They know how to make a bowl of oatmeal. They know where to find the spoons. In other words, they've matured to the place where they not only can digest solid food, but they know where to go to find it and how to access it. And I want to just admonish for those of you who are coming on Sundays going, man, I just need the pastor to feed me. (laughs) Well, I hope the word nourishes you on Sunday, but I also hope it nourishes you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, because if you can read or if you can hear audible, you can consume the word of God for yourself. And there is no more important factor in a person's growing up than what they're eating. If you've ever had a child that wasn't growing at the pace that they uh, were supposed to grow or there were concerns, you know the first question the doctor asks, what are they eating? What are you feeding them? How is their diet? We've got to be eating. We've got to be feeding on the word of God for ourselves. And finally, metaphor number three where Paul goes is this metaphor of field and workers. And I'm calling this the principle of spiritual harvest. Look again with me at chapter three and beginning at verse five. Paul continues, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? We are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building." What was happening even in the first century and unfortunately is still happening in the 21st is that men and women of God who were called to lead the church, called to use their gifts to preach and teach and shepherd were being held up and esteemed as rock stars. They're going, man, I've hitched my wagon to Paul and he's really, you know, he's really something. Or, or Apollos, have you ever heard Apollos preach? And in our day and age, you'll find immature believers who are like, man, you know, do you see what that pastor's wearing on Sundays? He's so cool. Man, that guy, he's like a stand-up comedian. He's just so funny. I just love, and we elevate, and the, and the book sales, and, and we measure spiritual leadership by how much fame a person has accumulated. And Paul's like, this is insane. He says, we're not rock stars. We were called by God to serve and sacrifice for the church and your elevation of us is hurting our mission. See, Paul had one goal with the churches that he, he, he planted and that he served. 
He wanted the life of Christ to be formed in them. And the life of Christ could not be formed in people while they're obsessed with other people, even if it's Paul himself. The reality is in your business, in your family, in your marriage, in this church, there are always two categories of things. There is the mission and there are distractions. And everything that doesn't filter into the mission of your family, your life, your church, is a distraction to what God has called you to do. Paul is not so much demonstrating how humble he is. Oh, Corinthians, don't, don't elevate me. I'm nothing, you know. This isn't an aw shucks theology. Like Paul's saying, guys, this is a hindrance to the mission of Jesus. Stop it. Stop looking at me. Stop looking at Apollos. Look only to Jesus the one who is the harvester. What Paul then does is he outlines three roles that happen in spiritual harvest. It's true in the physical. It's also true in the spiritual. He says there are three roles when it comes to spiritual harvest. Number one, there's always a planter. For the Corinthians, this was Paul, right? Paul was the one who literally planted the church at Corinth. He spent 18 months with them working the soil and getting the seed into the ground. But then Paul bounced. He went to other places like Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi to plant other churches. That was Paul's role. He was an evangelist. He he was called of God to, to, to bring the gospel into places it had not yet come. He says, I was the planter. And here's what Apollos was. The second thing, Apollos was the waterer. Paul says, when I I left, Apollos came behind me and he fertilized or watered those seeds so that they would grow. And what Paul's saying is, all Apollos is doing is furthering the work that I began. We're not in competition. We have different roles. So Paul is doing evangelistic work. Apollos comes behind him to do discipleship work, having come from Africa up to Corinth. The planter, the waterer, and Paul says, but here's the third and most important role, the grower. And the grower of all good things is God. It is not Paul. It is not Apollos. It is not Peter. It is God alone who gives the increase. Planting and watering are necessary components, but they alone do not guarantee growth. In in the physical realm, if you were to plant seeds, maybe flowers or some kind of plant in the ground, and then you were to water those seeds— If everything happens well, that seed should grow. But the truth is, some seeds, if they spend too much time in sunlight, they get scorched and they wither and they die. Some seeds get snatched up by birds. Some plants, as they begin to bloom, get eaten by animals. So Paul's going, we did our part. But none of us can manufacture growth. If you are growing, it is only a work of God. So stop giving us credit where credit is not due. One of the things that I often pray with my team and for our church is this. I'll say something like, God, we're doing what we are able to do. Would you do what you are unable, or what we rather are unable to do? So like, God, we're we're preparing the sermon every week. We're we're putting worship services together. We're trying to listen and and pivot and go, we need to give people time to, to pray and to receive prayer. Man, we're setting up rooms for kids and students and we're, we're tearing those things down afterward. We're doing a lot of work, but the reality is it's all wasted effort if God does not give increase. If God doesn't show up and do the work of growing our church, we can't make it happen on our own. When we first planted this church in 2018, the, the guiding verse for me and for our leadership was this, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. And Paul says, all we are, you guys, is workers. You're God's field. We're just trying to do our part. And we're asking God to do what we cannot do. This past 12 months or so, we've been blessed to see tremendous growth at Horizon West Church. Growth in the amount of people attending on Sunday mornings, significant growth in our kids' rooms and in our student rooms, growth of those who are participating online. We've got more volunteers. We've got more home groups. We were able to raise money to purchase a a property in cash. Like, God is doing incredible things, but it's important that we recognize the work is God's. Any one of us, including myself, could be removed or replaced and the work of God will continue because Jesus is building his church. God is the grower of his church. Let me end it in this way. Let me end the message in this way. I want to not only think about this in light of who we are as a church, but I also want to give you a chance to process this on a personal level. Because each of you in your life have things that God has given you or relationships that God has given you where both planting and watering are necessary. You live among neighbors, you work with coworkers, you have family members whose hearts are hard to the gospel. They are closed off to the good news of Jesus. And I think it's a reminder for us today, are we planting the seed and are we watering it through conversation, through prayer? Are we looking for spiritual harvest in the lives of lost people? If you're a parent, God has called you to plant the seeds of his word in the hearts of your children, not just when they come on Sundays, but helping them to have a relationship with God and to water that through corrective discipline and through prayer and through modeling Christian life for them, planting and watering and then trusting them to God. I know parents who thought it was their job to make their children follow Jesus and that is a futile effort. You pray, God, would you do what I can't do? I can't make my prodigal adult child come home. I can't make my teenage child surrender to you. I can't make even my five-year-old learn to walk in obedience. But God, I'm planting and I'm watering. And would you give the increase? Men, married men, are you planting and watering in your home? Are you loving your wife the way Jesus loves the church? Are you praying with and for her? Are you pursuing faithfulness? to God and to her? Are you the one saying, hey family, let's, let's get ready. We're going to church today. Are you planting? Are you watering? And if you are, pray, God, would you give the growth? Would you give the increase? I began by telling you that Paul had his measuring tape out. He said, I'm not seeing the growth that I hope to see. And I want to leave you with this. As you look at your own life in this past year, this past three months, even this past three weeks, Spiritual maturity is not a direction, or rather, it's not a destination. It is a direction. It is a process of progress. Are you growing? I pray that you are. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word. God, I thank you for the way that you've been uh, working this word into my own heart and life. God, I thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than everything that we ask or imagine. According to your power at work in us, Because God, we work too hard. We work too hard to labor in vain. God, may our efforts be joined together with your increase and may you receive all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. 
If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.